0: What's up, Elite Army? This is your kind of well, kind of toxic host, Sarah Rittendale, bringing you another episode of Well-ish. Sarah Armstrong, welcome to Well-ish. I'm so excited you're here with me today.
1: Oh, great to be here, Sarah.
0: I have to talk to you too, because obviously we just have the best name in the world. so <laughs> We just do. <That's> really- <laughs> we do. And with an H. <laughs> And with the H, exactly. That's what I always say to people that don't spell without it. I'm like, you're spelling it <laughs> wrong. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so I like to let my guests tell me who they are, what they're about, what your purpose is. I feel like it gives a really clear direction of kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So would you mind sharing with me who is Sarah Armstrong?
1: Sure. So uh, actually, I'm a, a combination of things. So
0: Ooh. I, I <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> From
1: a professional standpoint, I've been in the uh, corporate world for, gosh, 30 plus years, um, always in kind of the global marketing space. And okay. so I started my career back in the day at Leo Burnett, which is a, a full service agency at the time on the media side, went to the Coca-Cola company, um, worked in media and uh, agency operations, then went on to McKinsey, which is a consulting firm and did uh, was a partner there. Okay. And then I actually joined Google um, almost four years ago, and I head up our marketing operations globally. So, from a professional standpoint, I you know have enjoyed my career and, and love what I do, and feel very fortunate. Um, on the personal side, I'm a mom. I have a 21 year old daughter, Grace, and uh, I can't believe I'm old enough to have a 21 year old. I don't know how that happened, Sarah, but yes. <laughs> She's a junior in college, uh, and she is studying forensic psychology and creative writing, which is an interesting combo. And so, and uh, then in terms of how I spend my time outside of those two worlds, is that I um, went through a divorce when Grace was seven. And okay. um, it was uh, a moment in time where I didn't plan, I always say, no one. It's married to get divorced, mm-hmm. you know, and did not, mm-hmm. I'm not obviously for that to be part of my life, but it was. And so, but through the process of getting divorced or going through our divorce, um, I had uh, a certain way that I wanted to do it. And with Grace being the sole focus and making sure that we were doing the best for her along the way. Sure. So over the course of years, um, I had a number of friends that came to me after our divorce and said, "You you did that so well. Would you help me through, you know? me thinking about it and I always say I'm not an advocate for divorce I think people should couples should stay married for the long term and that's always the goal But sometimes that turn out that way sure. so help my friends through this and long story short is at the end they would say you really should write this stuff down now Sarah in my list of things I was looking to accomplish in life writing a book was never it was one of them <laughs> it was not on the bucket list but having said that uh I was at a business dinner in Latin America with a group of colleagues. And uh, one of my colleagues turned to me, and goes, Sarah, you're so happy. Mm, that's said, a good yeah. compliment. Yeah, I said, yeah. I am. <laughs> and he said, but you're divorced. Oh. And I said, well, getting a divorce is a death sentence. I okay. said, my husband and I decided to no longer be married to each other. I'm happy my ex-husband's happy, Grace is happy. We're all happy. Sure. He mentioned that my friends had been encouraging me to write a book on how we'd approach this, and he said you really should. So I got on the plane out of Mexico City the next morning and opened up my laptop and started writing. And I wrote the first line, said, "This book is written by a girl who never ever thought she would get a divorce, yes. who got divorced, and what she learned along the way." Mm-hmm. so this has been a, um, a bit of a personal journey for me again because i never meant to write a book but i've kind of become a proponent to the concept of a good divorce
0: mm-hmm.
1: the the you know you we, you can talk about breakups which you and i will probably talk about a bit here um but when you have kids involved you know there's a very different dynamic very different dynamic totally iterations of, of the impact on children you know whatever age they are but then mm-hmm have huge impact on their view on marriage and their view on relationships, you know, and even their overall happiness. So I think it's so fundamentally important. And I don't think there's enough discussion within society about how to have a good divorce. So that has led me on this path. And so I have a book called The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce. Mm-hmm. And it's really meant to be a bite-sized guide for women who are going through the process. So that's a little bit about Professional, personal, and then this book journey I've been
0: on. I love it. Well, and I I did read your entire book. I loved it. I thought it was great. I did. Yeah. (laughs) I, I just, I, so when I picked it up, I originally, so my parents are divorced. And so the first thing that I did was, and it's recent within the last three years, my parents got a divorce. Um, and I have a sister. And so I completely relate to the, you know, being um child that's involved in it. However, yeah. with the difference between us and your situation is that my sister, I'm 25, my sister is 23. So we're older, <laughs> which I feel like is this, like, there is a, Different dynamic to it because my parents are like technically we don't have to talk anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> so. It but, is different, it's different adult children for sure. Right,
0: for sure. But yeah. what I think is so interesting, so being an adult watching my parents go through a divorce is watching them try to navigate that. And what I think is so interesting with your book is mm-hmm. how almost textbook-like it's like. Like, it is just so straightforward. When I picked it up, I I sent a picture of it to my mom and I was like, mom, you could read this when I'm done. And it was more, because I'm thinking it's going to be more emotional. I thought it was going to be more like what you went through, but like you talked about before we started recording and you said it in the book, is that you don't divulge into why you got divorced because it's not important. It's what you do from there moving forward, how you're moving on. So yeah. I, I just think that that is so cool that you yeah. made a guide that, I mean, you you get into every single detail <laughs> that I would just never even think of yeah. <laughs> to, to know how to do it. What made you make that decision?
1: Yeah, to... well, yeah, it's really interesting. So when I got divorced, I had a number of people that gave me books, actually, and would say, okay. hey, this is you. But they were so dense, Sarah, and they were so thick. And I would open them and I would close them. I never read, I didn't want to read a book my entire divorce process. I'm like, I can't handle that. Mm-hmm. So when I thought about the process of writing this book and what I would want to help women with, it's the bite-sized pieces. It's the decisions you need to make and the discussions mm-hmm. you need to have about how you're going to manage your children's life, your life, and really live the fullest and happiest life possible, even though you're divorced. You yeah. know? And so the book is, but as you know, is broken into three phases, preparing for the change, as I refer to it, during the change and post the change. And it's 185 topics. Um, And again, maybe a topic per page, as you know, it's like either a paragraph or a page. And, and you're not meant to be. I love that you read it cover to cover, but most people I say, it's probably not meant to be read cover to cover if you're right. going through because you can't take all that in. Right.
0: I love that you even said that in the book because that, I mean, that's one of my biggest things here on Wellish too, is that it's like what works for some people doesn't work for everybody. You have to intake the information you can handle. You can't create that knowledge to skill gap. Like you read the whole book. You're like, holy shit. How am I supposed to figure out my... Yeah. passport because that's what sarah wrote in the book how to even start there yeah, so whatever.
1: it's true it's true and that's the thing i think that there's um you have to and so these bite-sized pieces i think if you can take one in reflect on it for your own personal situation because every personal divorce situation is different right i can never claim that the book is going to you know uh, address all of that but it's going to give you the things to think about from your angle and say okay how am i handling this Yes. And back to my children and what's best for them. So that was the whole intent of the design of the book. So I talk about writing in bite-sized pieces. Mm -hmm. And um, what's interesting, Sarah, is I had a woman stop me in the grocery store right after, about a couple months after I'd written the book and I'd done my book launch at Barnes & Noble. And she stopped me, she said, are you Sarah Armstrong, the author? Oh, and my I God. Said, <laughs> You're like, I
0: sure am.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny because I didn't think about myself that way. I said, oh, sure. well, I, I said, yes, I, I am. And she said, well, I was at your book signing at Barnes & Noble and um, I bought your book and I'm going through divorce. And I always and, and she said, I'm reading your book. And it's always a little bit of a bittersweet thing for me to know that someone needs my book. Right. I, I wish no one needed my book.
0: Yeah, I relate to that.
1: And she said to me, I just want to thank you for writing this book because I carry it around with me everywhere and it keeps me calm. And I said, well, thank you for sharing that with me. And and Sarah, she walked away in the produce section at the grocery store. I thought, you know, that's why I've written this book is to help a woman I don't know who is going through one of the most challenging phases of life that you're going to go through as a woman, as a parent. And if I'm helping to keep her calm through the what the guidance in this book is giving, then that's that's why I wrote the book you know, absolutely exactly
0: I did it, and you know, I have to say that makes so much sense. I completely understand what that woman was trying to say because of your style of writing, the way that you don't have to digest it all at once, the way that it's not telling you what you need like what you should be doing, it's yeah. just very straightforward and it's very digestible. And it's like almost the rock you can lean on in. Yeah while you're mm-hmm. going through your divorce. Cause you're like, shit, what, well, what am what supposed to do? And then yeah. you look and you're like, step-by-step, step, like yeah. just clear, no okay. bias, no what, I, like it's no emotions are involved, yeah. which I think yeah. is really cool.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, it is meant to be that practical guide. But the other thing is, you know, when you grow up, you don't, you don't plan to get divorced. You know, you think about your wedding, you think about other things. You know, sure. Like, or, yeah. you know, you're, you're like, that's like,
0: never going to happen to me. Yeah, Yeah. And so when it
1: happens, it's really an overwhelming thing. And I think again, whatever stage of life that it does happen, in whatever age your kids are. Now, I will. If you don't have kids and you get divorced, in all honesty, it's a breakup. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's financial considerations. You break up, off you go. You never have to see each other again. You never talk to each other again. It right. can be very, it can be very clean. But when you have kids, I mean, it's it's a very complex situation to navigate. Um, and you know how you handle holidays, how you handle birthdays. You know, and in, in younger years, how you handle parent-teacher conferences, how you know all of those yeah. things, and you know each of those moments is a sending a signal to your children of that life is okay, that you're that you're happy, they can be happy. And if you handle them in a contentious way, then you're just continuing to live that like the divorce becomes this negative cloud
0: mm-hmm. that
1: follows you everywhere. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And divorce is an action. You get divorced, mm-hmm. right? does not need to be that negative cloud that follows you and your family throughout the rest of their lives i just don't believe that
0: elaborate on that that's an interesting point yeah well because i think that there's in society there's a little bit of a scarlet letter
1: right that people that get divorced carry or wear and when you go through that it's like oh that was you know a failure which you know your marriage has failed you then you have to decide is that that one thing going to literally be the thing that follows you. So I have always said, there's a bit of irony to the statement. I've never wanted to be defined by my divorce. Right. Now I wrote a book on it, which is ironic, but that's another story. But I didn't want to be like, oh, and Sarah's divorced. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Sarah's divorced. I, no, I'm a happy, you know, very, uh, you know, focused person on living the best life possible. Mm-hmm. Is about whether or not I got divorced. In my view, is a little bit irrelevant because I'm focused on living the best life possible. Right. But some people, when it happens, it then becomes the defining element of their life and for their children.
0: Right. And I didn't want
1: that grace, you know. So I was like, I don't want her to grow up and say the first thing she tells people is, "Well, my parents are divorced." Mm-hmm. You know, right. I didn't. It's not what I. And you wouldn't if you, you matter. That's not. That yeah. wouldn't be. What you could say first, you know
0: but it become a part of your personality trait. And I completely understand what you're talking about that. You're like, you don't want, you just want, it's interesting. The difference because divorce takes such um, like a emotional, I don't know how to word it, but like, because the divorce is so all consuming, maybe yeah. it's the word I want to use yeah. compared to like a breakup or you don't have ties. You just are, it's, you can, cool. it can be clean. Yeah. It's weird how you can see how that relationship doesn't define you. You can just move forward. But with this, all consuming. You think, Oh my God, now this is my personality. Now I'm ashamed. Now everybody's going to know. Now people know that I failed. It's outward. It's out there in the world. Most people don't yeah. have their failures displayed for their family right. and friends to see. So yeah. it completely is a terrifying.
1: Well, it's a terrifying thing. And the other thing is it's reinforced. I, I joke because I went to the dentist recently and you know, the status of, on your form you fill out, It's it asks you for status, single, married, divorced, other. And I'm like, why does, it if, why does it matter if I'm divorced? You're, you're cleaning my teeth.
0: Yeah, that's weird.
1: Yeah, why do I need to tell you I'm divorced? Like, it's.
0: I, so, I yes. mean, I, you know, if you're
1: going to a certain medical appointment and they didn't know that for whatever it may be, I don't know. But it's just, but those are those micro moments in life where it's a reinforcement that you're mm-hmm. going to label yourself in that way. Mm-hmm. And I I want, I just, but it's almost ingrained and we accept that that's what society expects you to tell them. And I think, okay,
0: well. Frustrated. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. you
1: that i
0: don't think you do but okay totally i think so one of the big things with that too is that um the the identity behind it and the big emotions behind it and you had mentioned that you're somebody that never expected to get a divorce so do you have any words of wisdom or how would you say you have coped with life not turning out how you expected
1: yeah that's a great question One of the most important things that I think we all need in life, and and definitely if you're going to go through divorce, is what I talk about is building a compartmentalization muscle.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: And what that is, is I think that there's times, and I'm going to use the divorce process as an example, but it applies to the aspects of our lives, but there's times when your emotions are running high, and if they're running high and you're having to either make decisions or you're in front of your children or whatever the case may be, it may not be the best time. To make that decision or to react in that moment and so building the compartmentalization muscle and i i joke that i do pilates and i build a really strong core muscle you know <laughs> i love that i think it's really important and then i think that but this compartmentalization muscle takes effort to build and to understand what it means and it's not about um, suppressing your emotions or you know not dealing with them it's about deciding when you deal with them it's about using that muscle to say okay now's a time where this isn't the right time for me to express all that i'm thinking feeling because i'm in front of my children or i'm with my ex-spouse and i'd rather have a productive conversation about the decisions we're making versus you know litigate you know what happened 3 years ago so, so it's but then you need to have an outlet for that and then that's do you go for a walk do you talk to a therapist do you talk to a friend or family member and you get those emotions out and, you, and so but i do think the compartmentalization also is something we all need in life and I think you definitely need it when you're going through divorce and, and building it and then using it appropriately to manage those emotions that are, are inevitable because of the emotional aspect um, that comes with a divorce process and the roller coaster you go on when you're, you're going through
0: it. It's an interesting thing that you say, because to me, in my life, compartmentalization has been talked about as though it's a negative thing to have. That if you compartmentalize that you're almost a bad person, because how could you not think about The other thing. My parents got divorced because my dad had an affair. And so it's like that compartmentalization is very much like you could just go off and have the affair and have this separate life. And you didn't think about the fact that you have a wife. You didn't think about the fact that you have two young girls. And so it's just like it's always been painted in this negative way. And it's such a. I've heard that recently, actually. So it's so, it's one of those universe things. So strange that you say it because it is, it is it can be used for good and it can help you detach and not detach in a bad way, not suppressing, like you say, but it's this idea of I'm sad right now. I'm going to give myself this 15 minutes, this hour, whatever time you need to cry, to be sad. And then I'm going to choose consciously make the decision to move on with my life to, to say, okay, I'm going to keep that there. I yeah. feel that way. I feel through the emotion. I acknowledge the emotion. I know why I'm feeling the emotion, but right. now I have to make the decision to have a good life, to be happy, to
1: do what I want with myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is about, it's a, it's a choice, right? I think there's there's also a choice. I'm sure you have reflected. I mean, choosing to be happy, right? Choosing... I that
0: tattooed on my shoulder.
1: Oh, do you really? Oh my God. <laughs> yes Yes. and that's you know what so fundamental i mean i think Mm -hmm. you can choose to be happy and regardless of what has been thrown at you in life Mm -hmm. or you can that whatever's been thrown at your life is going to define you not being happy and Mm -hmm. i just i think that um again divorce being the example i'll use i just didn't want that to be the thing that that was going to say that i could or couldn't be happy Mm -hmm. and so my ability to use my compartmentalization muscle as you say for good <laughs> um, go through, allowed me to go through the process and, um, you know, again, there's lots of emotion, and I had the, had all those emotions, but it's about when they were shown who they were shared with and right. how I did with them. And so I just think it's a matter of being thoughtful about that.
0: In the book, you ask when coming to the decision of whether or not you wanted to make the divorce, that one of those telling factors for you was that you can say that you've done everything that you tried so that you could tell grace that, so you could tell her I did everything I could, but this was the decision. I'm curious what you told yourself.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it was, it's a great question. And it was similar to what I told myself. I need to say, I need to say, you've done everything you can. You've, Mm -hmm. you've done the best. You've done everything you can. I always say to grace growing up, I only, I just need to know you've done your best. Mm -hmm. whatever that is whatever she was doing you know whether it's school or in athletics or whatever she was taking on and in this instance it's like I needed to know with my marriage and and with the decisions I was making that I'd done everything I can I'd done my best and then if it wasn't going to work out um that then I had to you know know that I could tell myself that and look at grace and say that to her yeah Cool. That's important, you know. I think because some people may say, "Well, getting divorced is the easy way out. Why didn't you work harder? You know, why didn't you do more?" And I'm like, you know, and so it's a matter of knowing you've done all you can, and then this is the the right decision for you and for your children to to
0: move on to a different type of life. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate that people have their own set of beliefs. But in my opinion, that's just such an ignorant mindset because it's just you just don't know all the inner workings that go. Of course, you're trying to make it work. You're in a relationship that you have no ties to anybody and you're like making excuses for them and trying to put aside your emotions and trying to do all the things to make it work. Of course, if when you have kids, of course, when you're in a marriage, you're when you get to that point, it is like a this is it. This is the only that we. There's no other choice. I've tried absolutely everything, and so that that is that's a cool point. Yeah. I like yeah. that a lot.
1: It's an important one for people to reflect on. You know, when they're mm-hmm. they're the making. And I always again I say I'm not an advocate for divorce, and I want people to do everything they can to stay married. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it is generally, you know, the ideal. If you put ideal in air quotes, to you know, to have parents stay married and kids in the same house and you know, moving in different than you and your sister will experience. I mean, moving back and forth between two homes for young children is a really big deal, you know, and that is not an easy way to live. Um, no. And that was, I will say, probably the hardest part, moment in my early part of this divorce process was realizing, um, and we went to a, a, a child specialist that dealt in divorce and was going to be Grace's therapist when we told her that we were getting a divorce. And he looked at me and he said, Sarah, do you travel? And I said, yeah, I, I travel internationally for my job. And and uh, he looks at my ex-husband. He says, do you travel? And he says, yeah, I travel domestically. He said, well, Grace is about to become a professional traveler. Mm-hmm. She's going to travel every week for the next 11 years until she heads off to college. And she's going to have to pack a bag. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, and I burst into tears Sarah. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm like, that, that's not what I want for her. Mm-hmm. That's not what I want for her. And so I walked out of that session and I looked at my ex-husband and I said, I don't know what this looks like yet, but I want to figure out how we keep Grace from feeling like she's a professional traveler. And I minimize the packing the bag elements, you know, that goes with that because that is exhausting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Because, you know, they are the ones, I mean, I always say as, as divorced parents, we get to go and have a house that's ours and, you know, we, we stay in place. And they literally, Going back and forth and so to your point i i know there's some socioeconomic considerations with some of the guidance they give in the book on, on this topic but i said when you can have the basics right in both places where they're not having to carry those because you think about it the kid who's a child of divorce shows up at school with an extra bag
0: mm-hmm.
1: every week they're carrying their book bag or their backpack and then they've got this yep the bag Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I'm like I don't want Grace. To, I don't want Grace to be that kid that has the extra bag because she's going to mom's house or she's going to dad's house. So we really tried hard. And, and Sarah, one of the funny things is that um I don't know how it happens, but all the socks end up at one house. I don't know how.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so <laughs> true. And like I'm
1: like, how do they all get? And so we would have I call rebalancing days. Okay. But my ex-husband and I, I'd, I'd text him and say, Hey, we need to rebalance. I have no socks here. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. know. So, and then it was up to him, not Grace. Again, she was seven, eight, nine. It was up to her to go rebalance her wardrobe across two houses. So my ex-husband would go up and figure out how many he had, and then he would put a bag together. And he would, as we did our transition, he would hand me the bag. I would take it. I'd put it back in Grace's dresser.
0: It's up to you guys.
1: Yeah, because again, she did choose to live across two homes. Right. She right. didn't choose to have to rebalance her stuff. Right. You know, the really interesting thing, if I can fast forward is, you know, we lived that way for the 11 years. And then she had, she was heading off to college and she came home one night and she was right before she was heading to college. She's like, mom, I'm I'm calling this a great consolidation. And I go, what does that mean? She said, well, when I head off to college and I have my dorm room, it'll be the first time in 11 years where all my stuff is in one place.
0: That is so interesting that she's very aware of that.
1: Yeah. And I said to her, Grace, I said, first of all, and by the way, Sarah, over the 11 years, she never once complained mm-hmm. about going back to homes. She, I mean, literally, I can't tell you how fortunate we were, just how how mature she handled a really challenging situation. But when she said that, it was such a poignant moment for me to think, wow. And so I said to her, I go, I, I so, I'm so happy for you that you're going to go to college and have everything in one place you deserve what a good
0: that. reaction right but
1: everyone deserves that mm-hmm. right you should not have to live in two places you know and, and so I was just so happy and so that's and it's it's interesting um the other day uh this is a funny story but we were buying some mm-hmm. clothes for her. I said well why don't you get two of that I mean you like it so much she goes mom I don't need to have duplicates anymore yes that's so cool I love and, that and I, thought, I said good point because we used to just do that we'd like to right. buy two too wanted
0: that so, so she was I don't need to have people consider me that's cool that's so cool too because I bet it's I love your reaction to it I love that it makes you feel good for her that you're happy for her it's not like oh, you yeah. feel any sense of like oh well did I do that wrong or is yeah. it, that was she thinking that that was she resentful What it's you're yeah. just like hell yeah girl <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go awesome. don't be, yeah. be happy
1: about the fact that you can have it yeah because I again I think that I mean, anytime you have those moments, you can either take the negative of it, mm-hmm. right? You Absolutely. The negative of the moment, you can say, wow, what a, what a positive that is. And then mm-hmm. go and, and use that as your as your point of reference and you move on. So Absolutely. that's a little bit of how I approach things.
0: I think one of the hardest things to cope with when it comes to ending a relationship too, is the way that your life will change. We were talking about how, you know, you're not expecting this to happen. Your life is going to be different. What steps did you take to figure out how your life would look post relationship?
1: That's a great question. You know, I did a lot of reflection on what I wanted my life to look like Mm -hmm. and, you know, recognizing it was a, a new normal you know of, of terms of life but i really focused on thinking about um both me from a, a overall person standpoint what what did i want to live my life i really focused on the relationships i had in my life and and the investing in those so my friendships my family relationships things like that and so i think there's different aspects but it is a little bit of picturing what you want life to look like in the future and really defining it. Um, you know, and I I had actually a vision I, I said to Grace when she was seven, I said, Grace, when you graduate from high school, and we were living in Atlanta at the time, I said, I'm mom's gonna move to San Francisco and I'm gonna get a two-bedroom flat with a view of the water. And so I am um, looking at my no way view of the water. Yes. And That's so cool two, two, two years ago. And it was very much I needed something that I was striving for. Mm -hmm. right and and the light and I we my ex-husband I decided to stay in Atlanta and keep Grace close to each other so we both decided to stay in in the same city to to manage that but I knew there was a life that I was meant to lead that was after that and I put that out there as kind of my vision and then I achieved that
0: vision so yeah that's so cool just as a person who's obviously Mm -hmm. so into personal development I just think that's so it's so important and something that I just feel like isn't considered or talked about enough about how you have to define what it is that you want. Like people just like keep it in their head floating around and think one day I'll get there. I'll figure it out and I'll be happy. But you were like, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna figure out how I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna make my plan. I'm gonna set my goal and I'm gonna freaking get there no matter what it takes. And yeah, you did was a lot
1: of hard work and there was a lot of hard work involved to, to do that. But yeah, it was and I found it's interesting because my my friends that I told over the years, because I was very open about that this was my vision. Mm-hmm. And I would tell people about it. I put it out there, which I think helps too. Does help too. And <laughs> my friends who now come and visit, they're like, "This is what you talked about." Mm-hmm. I said, "It's always what I wanted. This is, this is um, where I'm supposed to be." You know, That's and so, cool. yeah. So it's been a very rewarding aspect of this, you know, journey, quote unquote, that I've been on over the years.
0: You know what I like about you saying that too is just it's so nice to talk to people that truly feel that way. That true, like it makes it seem so possible that people think like, how am I ever, or at least I think for sure, it's like, am I ever going to get where I want to be? Do I ever, am I ever going to live the life that I want? It's just so reassuring to know that people are out there doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So cool.
1: Yeah, And I think you have to have belief in yourself. You know, you have to be willing to put in the hard work, whatever that is to achieve those things you want to achieve. But I'm a fundamental believer that you you don't to those things unless you set them as a you know as a vision as a goal. sure
0: absolutely so the title of your book the mom's guide to a good divorce implies that there's a bad way to get a divorce which i feel like is how most of us think when it comes to a breakup that there's a right and a wrong way to do things yeah. However, I feel like your book is really good at focusing on what you need to do. Like we were talking about for your best interest, for your child's best interest. Can you break down the mindset of feeling like there's things that you're supposed to do when it comes to a breakup?
1: Yeah, uh, It's so interesting. First, I will I'll break it down. Let me just tell you a quick story, though, because Grace yeah. is the good divorce. So when she was eight, a year after the divorce, we're standing at the CBS checking out and there was a People magazine on the newsstand and it was a celebrity couple getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. and she looks and she goes mommy is that a good divorce or a bad divorce Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I said grace I don't know what's the difference between a good divorce and a bad divorce she goes a good divorce is when the mommy and daddy are nice to each other like you and daddy and a bad divorce is when they scream and yell at each other and I said to her grace it's hard to tell from the magazine cover what type of divorce it is but that's very interesting to know and I walked out of there Sarah and I thought you know whatever my ex-husband and I were doing you know we were doing around to something. I <laughs> you know we're on to something that our daughter, a year after we've literally have her you know living between two homes and all the changes that come with that first year post divorce, that she could refer to our divorce as a good divorce I knew we're on to something, and we need to keep doing mm-hmm. what we're doing. So totally. so to say that, I think that the 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 elements of a good divorce do come, you know it it's it starts with that a couple sets aside the emotions that they mm-hmm. might have for each other. Mm-hmm. or the negative emotions with each other and say, what's best for my children? Like that's fundamentally like the mindset piece of it. Mm-hmm. And then it's the actions that it's how you interact with each other. It's how you communicate with each other. It's, you know, if you show up at a, you know, soccer game, do you stand on other sides of the field or you stand next to each other? So when your kid scores a goal, they can look up and see both their parents cheering or they mm-hmm. have to look up the field. Like yeah. there's all these micro moments that are reinforcing Of whether you are trying to do what's best for your children or you're doing what's best for yourself and your comfort. And that's a big thing. And so there's just these moments. So I, as you know, the micro
0: moments, yes. And it
1: was interesting, Sarah, when we were in, when Grace was in sixth grade, so about five years post divorce, we went into her parent teacher conference. And we sat down in that age of middle school, the child and the parents are meant to go and meet with the teacher. So the three of us went in, we sat down. And at the end of this hour long discussion, the teacher stops and looks at us. She goes, wait a minute, are you two divorced? No way. And, and I said, oh yeah, we got divorced five years ago. She said, I had no idea. Really? And, I, and I said, well, it never occurred to me to walk in here and say, hi. Hi, we're her, divorced. This parent teacher conference, can we, but we're divorced. Was, <laughs> said, why, why does that matter? And so, I, And she goes, you would be surprised at how rare it is. That divorced couples can come in and sit in this office for one hour with their child, mm-hmm. have a discussion about their child's education when they're divorced. She says it is very, she goes, it is so rare and it makes me so sad. Mm-hmm. And I said, I go, that makes me so sad. By the way, Grace is here in this whole discussion, you know, as a sixth grader.
0: Mm-hmm. And I said, that Oh, true. So
1: yeah. And I said, That makes me so sad. But what's more important to parents than how their child is doing in school? Mm hmm. Right. Again, that's, it's just, it's all these little micro moments that either reinforce, we're divorced. Let me tell you, we're divorced. Mm-hmm. Or reinforce, we're your parents and we're here for you.
0: Right. So when it comes to then building, you talk about building a support network. How do you, I want to know, how do you decide who that is? Like, how do you decide who's actually there for, because I feel like, especially with Grace, like there's, everybody's got their own perception. Everybody's got their own, like, from not even about you guys, I mean, that too, but like, just the, on their own idea of what divorce is and on their own idea of breakups and on their own idea of how you should handle the kids. And so it's, and it's like you love these people. So you want to listen to them and take their opinion into consideration. But it's like, what is your baseline? Like, how do you decide yeah. who's going to be a good uh, person to support you and who's not?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think early on, you figure out who's your very small circle of your support network? Like, who are the people that, both understand and support the de- decision you have now made for yourself mm-hmm. or for your family because there are going to pe- be people that you know want to be there for you but they're just not capable of understanding the why and then they're then they're really stressed, stretched to be able to support the help.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure.
1: So I do good. think it's a matter of you kind of sussing out within your own friend network and even within your own family who's there who you know who can Be there for you, and then it it expands over the course of time. I was I had the amazing gift of having such a supportive family through this Mm -hmm. process, and friends that understood because I was the first of my friends to get divorced.
0: Uh, Oh, right.
1: (laughs) So, so I was the first, and so again, that was a little bit. You know, there's a little bit of oh, you know, what do we do? What do we say? What do we not do? And I always said, you know, I didn't want people to choose sides between my ex-husband and I. Hopefully, they can remain friends with both of us. But people do choose. Even, but even though I didn't even though I said they didn't need to people almost naturally do and I'm like you don't have to but so I think it's just a matter of figuring out who is that core support network and then you build on it over time and uh, but it is important to have it's important to know you have people there that when you need to just say this is really hard or gosh it's such a tough you know moment that you have someone that you can turn to that will listen and they may give you perspective and they may just listen
0: you mm-hmm. know and that's
1: all. Wanting in that moment, and so I think it's just a matter of figuring out who those people are, and it's very personal to figure out those connections.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. For Grace, like, does that play any impact as well? Like, do you think your support system was separate from hers?
1: That's a great question. She she had a combination of things. I mean, she had family. She had um, family friends that were there for her. She had a therapist. And by the way, we we, we all had there, we all had therapists. Amen. It's, it's important. You know, it it's is. important. And, um, so she had different, um, different individuals, depending on the, thing. the interesting thing for her, she was also the first of her friends to go through this.
0: Sure. Okay. Right. Sure.
1: So what happened is as she got to middle school and she was five years plus post-divorce. She was now having some of her friends, parents going through this. And she, she and I would talk at dinner and she would be watching certain dynamics and certain divorce situations. Like, mommy, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. He's like, I'm trying to help so-and-so understand. And she's like, but I'm watching either how their parents are reacting, what they're saying, what they're doing. She's like, just, it doesn't have to be that way. So she, she saw how we handled it. And I said, I said, you know what, that's the thing, Grace, I go, every divorce is different. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, how dad and I handled it and you know, that it worked for us. um, And that's why I have such a belief in that, but you know, everyone's going to handle it their own way, but you can be a good friend and you can listen and you can help your friends through this. So it's interesting that she became the support network as much as needing, you know, probably needing one early on. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, you know, when I wrote this book, she was about 12, 12 when I was about to publish and I gave it to her and I, and I gave her a pen. Cause I said, you're, you're referenced this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, you can, you can tell me if there's something you're not comfortable with us sharing and so I left her alone, you know. I left it with her, and uh, I came back and I said, "What do you think?" She goes, "This is really going to help a lot of families."
0: Grace yeah. sounds awesome.
1: That's awesome. She is. She is. <laughs> and she said, "And I'm really happy you're doing this." That's and so cool. So it was good because
0: I needed her to be
1: be okay with it.
0: You know, it's I interesting how Grace also sounds like was a part of your support system.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and, and we yeah we were there for each other. But I didn't. It's an interesting point. I didn't, um, I didn't lean on her um, unnecessarily for what a a parent child going through the situation. Good point. Because I think that can be a very slippery slope Mm -hmm. of that your child needs to know and hear everything that you're thinking. They probably don't. And again, depending on age, like you and your sister in an age where your mom or dad may say things to you because you're an adult and and, we can comprehend
0: what's happening.
1: Right, you can comprehend, but sometimes it's even hard as an adult child. Yes,
0: absolutely, it is. There's been yeah. things that they've said that I think, and, and it, it's not even about me thinking about their relationship. It's more so along the lines of me thinking about my own future and thinking like, "Oh, now I'm afraid for myself." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so oh, it's a good point.
1: No, it's it's an important thing. It's like mm-hmm. so the sharing. I think sharing is wonderful and being open and having really open dialogue on this topic is important. Mm-hmm. But I think when is that sharing too much for the child whatever age
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: and where is it that but you so it is it is a real delicate balance
0: absolutely cool I think something interesting um, when you talk about going through the divorce is that inevitable need to divide up the belongings I think that was I I know we were talking about the traveling and her own stuff but you mentioned like even Mm -hmm. your furniture and stuff like if you gave something away from the old house, you would purchase something in its place or putting up yeah. different pictures in their place. Um,
1: yeah.
0: That is, can you talk about that strategy? I mean, that's, I, I feel like that's, nobody thinks about that. <laughs> it's, no, but just, yeah,
1: it's really interesting. So what happened with us is we, I was staying in the house with, the house that we've been living in with Grace. And my ex-husband was moving to a different place. And, but there was obviously a lot of things that we wanted to divvy up. And, and so we did it. So if there was a, a, a piece of artwork moving or leaving it wouldn't be that maybe I replaced with a piece of artwork I might just put a mirror up but I I didn't want a gaping hole and the great the best example of that was we had a long hallway of black and white family photos that was a that was a collection of both my ex-husbands and my family and I thought well I need to give him his family photos you know those are his and so I took it upon myself and again I talked about projects I took it upon myself to find other pictures, other black and white pictures and other frames. And I sent Grace to, I had them put them all together. And then on a Saturday, I sent Grace down to a play date down the street. You know, she's seven. And I took down my ex-husband's family photos, put them in a box and put new photos up, put everything away. And about an hour or two later, Grace comes home and I'm in the kitchen and I hear this little voice from the hallway say, Hey mommy. I'm like, what's that grace? She says, the wall has changed. And, I, and Sarah, I stopped in my tracks and I, I said, well, well, what's changed? She said, there are more pictures of me up there. It looks great. And she ran up to her room.
0: <laughs> That's so cool.
1: It, it, the thing is, Sarah, I stopped. I like took a deep breath. I was like, oh, because That's what happened? Question. It would have happened is if I had not take, made the effort or taken the time to put new pictures together and frames and put them up there. And I had just taken my ex-husband's pictures down and put them in a box. Grace would be telling the therapist years later, my parents got a divorce. My mom took all the pictures of my dad and his family off the wall, and she left those little hangers.
0: And she would have come home that day and went, oh, well, I guess my whole life is changing. Everything is different. I'm going to go up to my room and just move on with my life, I guess. But have that hole have and that, on the wall and in her heart.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the visual, right? The visual right. that memory would be there. Now in her room, interestingly, I, I love photos, so her room also had family photos, but those stayed. So there were pictures of her dad, of her grandparents, of her aunt and uncle. Like those, and through up until she left for college, those are. I said, "That's your family, and this is your room." So those were in there, and so I was. I said, "I didn't need to take them down everywhere." I just felt like in our common area it didn't need to be you know on display so it's interesting how you choose to do those how you handle those moments but the creating knowing that there are going to be gaps that are created and how you choose to fill those gaps and i know that again socioeconomically you might not be able to always replace the same the chair with another chair of that similar quality or whatever but figure out how you rework things so it's just not a gaping hole
0: right i love that can you talk about the number one tip that you would say when it comes to learning how to be alone after the divorce?
1: Mm, it's a great. Question.
0: I feel like I'm going all over the place, but I'm just no, like no, 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 I'm no. so fascinated. No,
1: no, no, no. That's a great question. You know, I first of all, um, being alone is an interesting concept because when you've been um, a mom and you've had kids in the bustle, hustle bustle of a of a family dynamic. And then your kids are at your ex-spouses and it is, you're like, oh, okay, I've got some time on my hands. Oh,
0: that's an interesting point. I didn't even think of that because you got the young kid that when she leaves, you're like, oh, I'm alone. I'm really alone. Because I'm thinking Hi. from the divorce, but the kid leaves too. Right.
1: No, no, yeah, yeah. No, so so it's both the the spouse not being there, but the child for, for portions of time too. And what I tried to do of course of time is figure out, so if that's time that's now for me, well, how do I want to spend that time, and how can I eventually view that time as a gift and not as a whole?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, yes. taking that shift in mindset, choosing, yeah. to, choosing to, to be positive an and to find yeah. the light in it. Yeah,
1: and I had a friend who recently got divorced, and I was, uh, you know, texting with him, and he said he was he was missing his good two daughters. He's like, I'm missing my girls, and it just feels so empty here. And and I said, I hope there there will be a day. When you see that time to, for yourself as a gift, he I mean, goes, "I'm not there yet." I said, "I know, but you will get there." And I do think that's something that is maybe not right away, and it is an adjustment. But figuring out how you want to spend that time that you're alone, whether it's you say, "Oh, I'm going to be alone," meaning literally alone, and just you know reflect, read, do things for yourself. That alone time can be filled with other people. You can say, "Okay, now I'm going to spend more time with my girlfriends," or forge other relationships. So I think the concept of being alone has other facets that you can explore, but it is a matter of um, understanding, appreciating that that is an element of divorce that's going to happen. And how do you want to approach it?
0: Can I ask you, you just seem so logical. And so <laughs> like, it's just, you're very impressive to me that I just feel like, have you always been like this? Like, you're very like, I've got to replace the pictures. I have to do two. We don't want her to be a traveler. We okay. want to make sure that I'm using my time as a gift and we're going to have a good, we're going to get along. We're going to have to talk about it, whatever. Like, have you always been this way the whole time? Yeah, I mean, I think, yes, I think I'm wired. I'm, I'm someone who's wiring, right? Just how yeah, you are. Yeah, right, Totally. And, like what and what do thing. you think about you makes you so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know, I don't know I, it's funny, I don't know. I I I reflected a little bit on this just from a standpoint of you know the book was very easy for me to write. Interesting, okay. You know, meaning like it just it came out, it wasn't like yeah. oh the like, guy was just like oh and then this and this. So I think part of it is just how I think and operate in fairness is with this kind of pragmatic practical mindset. And to our earlier conversation, I'm an optimistic, positive person by nature. Sure. Okay. Absolutely. So I think I have the wonderful DNA my parents gave me of, of having, you know, that as, as part of me. And so I think it's even when something negative and it's not, by the way, I'm not meant to be Pollyanna. It's a really, really hard thing. It's the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And I, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish it for anyone, you know, if, if given the choice. And so but I feel like when those moments happen in life, whether it's a, a divorce or a medical issue or something that happens in other dynamics, it could be a work issue, whatever the situation, I just think, think how we approach those moments um, sets you up for either moving on and not allowing that whatever negativity to follow you. And I, I do think those are choices we make. Mm-hmm. And so Absolutely. It's a mindset, you know, that I think I just kind of inherently have and then have built on over many, many years.
0: Absolutely. I love that. That's so cool. You talk about the hardness of it. You Mm -hmm. mentioned a divorce hangover in your book. What is that?
1: (laughs) Yes, I do. I talk about having a divorce hangover and still driving carpool every morning. So (laughs) which is a real thing for for divorce moms or parents overall, you know, a divorce hangover is that you have gone through this really, really emotional time, Mm -hmm. really intense time. And then you come out of it, but there's still just you're, you're still having to kind of emotionally heal and emotionally recover and physically recover and just all that comes with it. And so recognizing that that is a phase and that you have to give yourself the time to heal emotionally, mentally, physically, and then and you have to do the day to day. That's why I talk about when you still have to drive carpool, you know, it's like you still have to go through your day to day, but you're mm-hmm. not you know, your optimal self. And then recognizing it's a period of time, and that you will get through it, no different than if you have potentially overconsumed some wonderful cocktails. You, you, the next day might be a little rough. You know, it's not going to last. Hopefully, a week. It's going to be a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I liken that in a similar way to the divorce hangover. It's something that you're going to go through. Um, you have to do what you can to to provide some self care to yourself in those moments, so that you can get through it. And then you kind of say, okay, I'm through that, and then. I talk about, you know, the year of firsts post-divorce, you know, mm-hmm. which is the doors hang on the year of firsts are, are there. there's some overlap there. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to go through, you know, the first birthdays, the first family, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. first, but whatever it is, those moments, first holidays, which are really hard, you know, and so those are the things that I think um, you go through those and through those moments, you also reflect, do I want to do that again that way next year? Yeah. Okay. Yep is that you're first you've chosen a way of doing it whether it's how you celebrate the holidays or how you do throw a birthday party for your kids um mm-hmm. uh, whether you do it where you're both doing it together or you've done it separately and you know, all those dynamics the logistics of it but once you've done it the goal is to then reflect and say was that good did that work mm-hmm. does that repeat or you say you know what i'm never doing that way again
0: And what's so interesting about that is that that's for this and it's for literally anything in life is that you have to do it once and it's... I think people get so hung up on doing it right and doing it the way you're supposed to, and they haven't made that first move yet because you are trying to do it the right way. But you just got to move, and it's just going to be uncomfortable, and it's going to be awkward, and you're probably not going to like it. But then you go, and it's either fine, or you go and, like you're saying, you choose what you didn't like about it. What will we do different next time? What can we do in the future to make this a little bit more comfortable for us? Or Make it more into our new normal. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And those are all again; those are almost conversations with yourself. (laughs) 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 others, I mean, some of it's like with your kids. You know, you know, did did that? Did you like how that holiday went, or did you like how we did that vacation? You know, or whatever the case is. But I do think it's a matter of stepping back, reflecting on that moment, and just kind of stringing it mentally, so you know the next time it comes around, if you're going to repeat or if you're going to do a completely different pivot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So to wrap things up, I like to ask my guests a series of questions because I think I call it kind of toxic, kind of well, it, (laughs) I think it really brings humanity to my guests who seem to have it all perfectly figured out, but it always seems because you guys have it all figured out that you have like a really good perspective on how to handle these things that some people slip into the toxicity of. So I want to ask you these couple questions if you're down for it. Absolutely. What or who are you jealous of? Oh, I love that question.
1: Um, first of all, it's funny. Um jealousy is an interesting emotion, um, but I am jealous of those people right now that can um I'd love to travel. And so I'd say those that can freely travel whenever they want, wherever they want, as freely as they want, because that's something I love to do. I've seen much of the world. I have more to do, but I would just love more space and time to do that. So that would probably be good.
0: Good answer. What do you find yourself overthinking about?
1: Mm, I love these questions. Um, I would say for me, the overthinking is the... Approach I'm taking to the next phase of this life. Um, okay. So I'm in, I'm in an empty nesting phase now with Grace. Mm-hmm. And so my overthinking is kind of now that I've, in fairness, I've achieved the vision that I set forth, as I mentioned to you when she was seven.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now I'm like, okay, so what's next?
0: Mm-hmm. That's you know, always how it is, isn't it? yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: so, so I'm in a probably overthinking mode on the, you know, what do I want this next phase to look like? Nice. Uh, but it's in a reflective way. I think it's it's probably mm-hmm. the right my wheels to be turning against, but yeah. see where my overthinking probably is
0: that's such a good point, too that I again, see this is what I'm talking about is overthinking can so easily slip into the toxicity. but I love the way you spin it and say that I'm, hell yeah, I'm thinking about this. What's next yeah. in my life? What else yeah. am I here to do? What else can yeah. I do in my that's time? Right.
1: Yeah, and that's and that's the thing because I feel like I have a lot. It's kind of your point. Really, I, I feel like I have a lot to give right now. Sure, um, sure. And I want to figure out what that looks like and how I'm able to give back mm-hmm. uh, and have some significant impact in the world in my own way. And so mm-hmm. I think that's, that's, that's the overthinking. Doing.
0: Sure. What makes you quick to get angry? <laughs> my thing
1: of getting angry is when I feel someone has not. Um, when are you selfish? Ooh, I'm very selfish with my time. Good answer. I'm so many yeah. like that. Yeah, very selfish with my time. Selfish with how I spend it, who I spend it with. Um, and at this stage of life, again, I'm very selective. on um, Both mm-hmm. of those things. And so, yeah, and I'm unapologetically selfish. You know?
0: Nice. When is the last time you found yourself people pleasing? I would say it
1: was a couple years ago. Um, I stopped a lot of social. What I call the um, <laughs> Conforming to social norms, uh, yeah. elements, uh as I left Atlanta and moved to San Francisco, I, I stopped a lot of those things that I think are kind of that expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that it's a negative to people, please, but I think there's the, like I, for example, I, I stopped sending Christmas holiday cards. I used to send 300 of them. Oh my God. <laughs> not right. my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. we. we, we them, I've done them, and I don't need to do that anymore. So it's just the little things in life, you know, where you kind of free yourself from those social expectations. So for me, that that would be an example. And I love mom, that my mom, who I adore and is eighty years old, and still sends holiday cards. It was I mean, a real issue—the fact that I've stopped. And I said, "You know, I just I'm not doing it anymore." Right. Just,
0: How okay. freeing, like you said. <laughs> yeah,
1: like, it's wonderful. My holidays are less stressful. I'm not worrying it's about so getting cool.
0: these in the mail. That's all. I good. love that. What do you find yourself being a perfectionist about?
1: Hmm. Um, you know, I'd say my perfectionism at this point is healthy living. Um, Love it. Okay. And it's uh, how can I live the healthiest life possible? Okay. It's eating, sleeping, taking care of my body. It's that's the and it's less about perfection in terms of visual perfection. It's more about like, are you really as healthy as you can be?
0: Sure. What is something that you used to tell yourself that you should be doing that you've now freed yourself from?
1: Um, I think when you are raising children and, and having a family, there's a lot of expectations that come with all of those things. And I've been able to say that was a period of time in my life. And now I no longer need to do that. And mm-hmm. so I freed myself from from many of those expectations and it feels good.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you not have empathy for?
1: I don't have empathy for um, individuals who choose to live a negative perceived life or negative perception like those that you probably heard you kind of hear the theme of my my thoughts but as someone who chooses the negative
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: negative things happen or they're going to go all the negative i just i don't have a ton of time for
0: and then they're like why is the negative happening i don't understand <laughs> I, just, <laughs> oh, yeah, I wonder
1: why <laughs> I, yeah, I just i can't I, if people want to focus, focus on the negative then i'm probably not not going to be around
0: amen last one if you were to tell one person one thing to be more well than toxic, what would you tell them?
1: To Focus on the positive. And awesome. whatever situations,
0: mm-hmm. you can Great. focus on
1: the positive and will stay on the wellness side and not on the toxic side.
0: Awesome. I love it. Sarah, thank you so much for all of your information. I loved talking to you. I, I didn't ex- I didn't know how this interview was going to go. And I just having the personal connections to it. And I just I've loved all the information that you give and what you're doing and what you're doing for people that are divorced and at, not relationships. And I really appreciate you a lot. Um,
1: thank you for having me on Sarah really enjoyed our conversation as well. And I um, I do hope that those that find themselves in a situation where divorce is the path they're going on that they know that a good divorce could be an attainable outcome if they take it if they take the steps needed to put their children first and so I just really my goal so so thank you for letting me share a lot of those messages today
0: absolutely thank you <laughs>